Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ plus authors. I'm Anita Kelly and my guest today is Jess Wells. Hello, Jess. Oh, hello. And thank you so much for having me here. I'm really honored to be amongst the women that you've you've interviewed for this series. Quite the crowd. Oh, I feel honored to have you. Um <laughs> It's it's I I don't think I I told you how I um actually recently came across your name. Um oh. uh I was we, my wife and I love to go to like uh antiquarian bookstores and um used bookstores. And so we were recently and and I knew you. I was friends with you on Facebook like with all the, you know, LGBTQ authors um for years, I think, right? Um, yeah. And um but I found this book. It's called Contemporary Lesbian Writers of the United States, a bio bibliographical critical source book. And you're in it. I, I, you know what? I, I don't have a copy of it, but I have kind of a picture of the cover, I think. Okay. Uh, I'm so thrilled to be in that. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. It's awesome. It's an awesome <laughs> resource book. And yes, you are like among like these brilliant writers as you should be like, Aww, yeah, thank you. yeah. And, and speaking of brilliant writers, you have had quite a career in literature. Um, so, so I just let, let's go back a little ways and, and tell me when did this begin? When did you start writing? Well, my mother's favorite story is that when I was five years old, I used to sit between the sofa and the wall and with my Raggedy Ann doll. And one day I crawled out from behind the sofa and said, I wish they could talk for themselves. This is such hard work. <laughs> so that was the beginning of telling stories. Uh, and then in, in terms of deciding I was going to write and write fiction, I... Um, I have a degree in economics, but I took creative writing classes to keep my grade point average up because I wasn't really very good at it. And I was going to go to law school. I took my LSATs and then I decided I just didn't want to become that kind of a person. So I took the money, mm -hmm. a little bit of money I saved to go to law school. And I thought, what's the most frightening thing you can think of to do? It was go to Europe alone so I packed a little bag, smaller than a backpack, and I told my mother I was going for two years, and I, uh, for one year, I told her one year, I knew I was going for two, and I stayed for three and a half, wow. and I rode around on trains in the beginning, and I was reading Simone de Beauvoir's The Second Sex, mm -hmm. and I decided, because I could just get off a train at a platform and walk across the platform and get on a train going in the other direction that I could do anything I wanted to do. Wow. And so I thought, I want to write, I want to write fiction. And when I got back to the United States in 1980, I had two books out. One was Run, which is prose poems, so small, and I, I illustrated it myself with collages. Um, it was so small, it didn't even have a spine. But I also put <laughs> out a history of prostitution in Western Europe, oh, cool. which was inspired, frankly, by de Beauvoir's The Second Sex and this idea, oh, my God, 
the idea that it's you know the oldest profession nonsense and you know we how does it rise and fall with women's status in general anyway that kindled a lifelong love of research which uh, eventually led me into historical fiction wow wow that is quite a journey <laughs> that really is yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so six novels five books of short stories and then several books of social commentary. So I edited a couple of lesbian erotica stories, and then I edited two books on lesbian parenting. So, um, yeah, that's that's about the vitae. That's what it went. Wow, that is incredible. Yeah. That must have been so much fun, just traveling <laughs> yeah. around Europe, like really, you know, no timeline, just... You know, right? Yeah, yeah. very bohemian. It. Yeah, it was. It was. I actually started writing when I was living in squats in London, um, which you would never have in America. But in England, if you could get into an abandoned building or a building that was, uh, for example, a former projects, and you could get the electrical to work, you the government had to deliver mail to you and they would never dream of sending the sheriff around to throw you out. So all of these politicos and bohemians and artists lived in these squats. And um, that's, that's how I had the money and the time to start writing. Wow. That is awesome. And you're right. That would never happen in the United States. No, never, 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 never. Nope. Nope. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So right now I have uh, I have a nephew who is over at Durham University in in the mm. UK. Um, mm. He's he's actually getting his master's in finance, but he's also playing American football. And and they're. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's loving life, you know, <laughs> and his um, I think that the uh, degree program is only one year. So I am just so hoping that he just hangs out there when he's finished and just explores and, you know, just does what he wants for a little while, you know? That's great. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yes. It really frees the mind. Yeah. 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 I'm going to yeah. tell him your story. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give him a little incentive. So, so, when you started writing, when you started publishing, I should say, did you like really expect the degree of notoriety that, that you've received? You know, that question is so interesting to me. I wanted to say, do, do I have notoriety? Oh, you do, I, girl. <laughs> I feel that I've become quite obscure, really. You know, and I was thinking the other day, the phrase languishing in obscurity. Mm. There's no languishing here. You know, I work work (laughs) really, really hard. And uh, I still feel kind of obscure. But uh, I I love it. I I really love it. So I feel that my life's work is to dramatize the, the world of women and the the things we face and the way that we face them. So for example, the Mandrake Broom is very based in reality. All the witch burnings are factual. All of the, um, all of the remedies are factual. And 
it looks at the idea, it, it, it looks at every single stereotype we have about witches and weaves them into a story in a way that explains why they are stereotypes. Um, it's set in a very eventful uh, book. I mean, there's lots of action in this book. But it, the idea is that there's a difference between internal strength and external weakness. So it, the, the, the core metaphor is a very powerful center that's walking around in the trappings of someone with no power. Wow. And mm -hmm. the other way around. So that's the witch craze. And Jaguar Paloma and the Cape Town Bar mm -hmm. uh, features two women, these extraordinary women, one of whom, um, unbeknownst to her, can control the weather. And the other is a woman who is so gorgeous. She's just stop traffic kind of gorgeous. And the only way that she can exist on her own with her own agency is to hide herself behind big hats and cloaks and uh, things that hide her beauty. And they, they meet and they form a, like a trading post in the Colombian jungle that draws women from all and, and the dispossessed really the dispossessed and cast off women. So women with illegitimate children and women who have been raped and women who have, you know, are just people that their, their parents throw them out on the streets and they come into this, uh, this, this village. And um, then, then all kinds of, all, all kinds of, chaos breaks loose wow. so that is a how is that classified what genre is that that's actually magical realism and i'm so happy about this book because i've always wanted to write magical realism and a little bit of it creeps into each of my uh pieces but this one's full-on full-blown magical realism and in a way it's an homage to the women of Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude, mm. uh, which is a book that, I mean, he invented magical realism. And that book is, that book is so stellar. I have read it five times. And the fifth time I read it, it just, I, I was thinking, boy, that woman must have been so pissed off that this happened to her. And, and so then I started looking at the women and then they morphed into these other characters. So Jaguar Paloma and the Cake Town Bar. Okay. And, and, yeah. you know, it's uh, the character. Um, you, I don't think you mentioned her name, the one who was trying to hide her beauty. Um, mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. so contrary to how women are groomed and oriented, right? Um, right. We're groomed to like always look good and present well, um, you know. Um, so how did you come up with that kind of, you know, uh, theme for that that particular character? Well, if you look at really beautiful women on the street mm -hmm. and you see the way the world interacts with them mm -hmm. and uh, it's not just doors are opened for them, mm -hmm. uh, literally and figuratively. Yeah. But and they're objectified, yeah. but they're also kind of in a way they're almost consumed. You know, it's like they become like a ham that men like 
take little slivers from. Um, yeah. And so in this story, she lives in both worlds. She lives in her, uh, her hidden world in the town, which is called Tartatanango, which is a uh, Colombian slang for cake town. Mm. So Tartatanango. And then she also, I don't want to give a lot away, but okay. she also <laughs> lives on the other side of the tracks as this extraordinarily beautiful woman. Wow. Um, and so, so there's, there's some very interesting parallels there. Oh yeah. It sounds like it. So is, is she Jaguar or is the, um, other woman Jaguar? The other woman is Jaguar. Okay. Jaguar Paloma is very, very tall, really just enormously tall, big woman. And, um, she has no idea that her moods have anything to do with anything going around her. <laughs> but, uh, 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 and it was in part inspired by all of this outrageous, um, crazy climate change weather, okay. this extreme weather. So there are people there who go through just, uh, just horrible droughts and, um, rainstorms that go on for weeks and yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's also kind of like a lot of people walk around and just are clueless about how their mood um has an impact on those around them right that's true that's true yeah yeah, yeah that is that is that does happen a lot yeah it does, that does yeah. happen a lot yeah well and a slender tether which is a uh it's a novel in link in link stories and it explores another aspect of being an outcast, really. Um, Christine de Pizon is a is considered the first feminist in uh, Europe, and she wrote in 1391, and she was the first woman to make her living as a writer, the first lay woman to ever publish a book, and the first lay woman to write a book about women. And she, in her book called The City of Ladies, which is a book about a city completely populated by women with no men in it. Wow. Um, she, she uses that book to talk about women of great virtue. And I'm not talking about sexual virtue. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about morality and capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so she really was the first one to stand up for women. And I had to think when I was researching her that if she was the first woman to write a book, full stop, and to write a book about women, mm -hmm. how must how must she have felt being yeah. an ambitious woman in a world like that? Yeah. Right. And so, what does it mean to be ambitious, and how she must have felt like a, 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 a almost a vicious person amongst the decorative right she yeah. is yeah. she is an intellectual in a court filled with little chippy birds right yeah, yeah. so I, what was it like to be herself you know was she allowed to be herself and was she always walking that tightrope you know uh in the company exactly of yeah exactly and uh, she i mean she turned out to write 20 books um, which is quite a feat with a quill and uh, parchment. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, on all kinds of things. She wrote biographies of kings. She wrote uh, polemics. She wrote uh, she wrote actually a manual on warfare, oh. which just it, it took about 100, 200 years before they would put her name on it really? after they published it. Yeah. So she wrote a, uh, the only poem that w- about Joan of Arc that was published in Joan of Arc's lifetime. <sighs> so yeah, she's an amazing woman and she's now taught in uh, medieval uh, history classes. That's so cool. As, yeah. As she, as it should be. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, that is uh so a slender tether is kind of uh picking up on her work and- yes it's the one of the three stories uh looks at the her early years but just on the cusp of when she starts writing and a lot of it also is is baked, based in fact so there's uh, a fire, for example, that actually turns out to be an attempt to assassinate the king. And, uh, you know, the, the king, in fact, did go mad just prior to that. And it, there's all kinds of factual stuff going on in there, which I, I just I just love. That's why I like historical fiction so much. Yeah. You know, um, I, I always think that when you write historical fiction, you uh, one has to do an awful lot of research um yeah and and did you do a lot of research like prior to sitting down and and beginning these novels or did you like uh research as you went along um how did that go for you well i'm constantly researching in the sense that i read uh i read an enormous amount about history and i'm always looking for a scene that's described in a visual way, because all my stuff starts with a visual image, uh, that is so interesting to me. And then I start digging and I start digging and looking at things around it and what happened and, and why. So it's really all about the theme. Um, you know, you can't really write just a story. This happened, then that happened, mm-hmm. and then this happened. That's that's not art. Art is when you make a comment on uh, the human condition. Mm-hmm. When you and that's the theme of a book. That's the thread that has to carry through the whole piece of work. So, mm-hmm. so straight uphill, for example, uh, looks at five generations of women chocolatiers in a little Italian village. And it looks at the different facets of romantic love. I, I thought I was just going to, you know, dash off some, you know, cute romance. I, I thought there might be a lot of money, uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of money in it. That's, uh-huh. that's a good laugh. Um, <laughs> but, as I, but as I started writing, I realized, wait a minute, there's fear of love. There's love of purpose. There's love of families in their various incarnations. There, there's sorrow as a form of love. Mm-hmm. There's the courage to choose love despite fear, mm-hmm. love of country. I mean, there's all kinds of different, different love. And I also thought it was going to be a book that was uh, modern. Mm. And it started in uh, the modern times, and I just couldn't help myself. So it's modern. <laughs> there's, 
there's this section on World War II, then it goes back to World War One, and then one of my favorite times is the 1600s when chocolate first came to Europe. Um, and where did it yeah. come from? Well, it was brought to Europe by Columbus in when he got back, 1492, and he gave it to Isabella, and she had no idea what it was or how to do anything with it, so she just threw it away. Oh, and then and then it took quite a while, but the, the figured out how to make it the Spanish monks did. And it took a long time for it finally to get over to Italy. And uh, then it spread through Europe. So have you, do you teach? I used to teach. Yeah, I used to. You would be an awesome professor. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I really, I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. I used to travel around and go to literary conferences and teach about uh, theme, mm-hmm. uh, teach about uh, setting, how important setting is and how you can make it work for your story. Mm-hmm. I started out teaching how to find time to write because ah. that seemed to be the biggest question that beginners had. Still is. You know? <laughs> Still is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you write fiction? I do, and you know, yeah. uh, n- uh, National November Writers Month has pretty much come and gone, and <laughs> <laughs> and me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, it's yeah. It's really tough. So, um, so tell us more then about Mandrake Broom. This is about like the witch trials and, um, like I imagine for that, like you uncovered a lot of, um, things that probably like pieces of history that people didn't even know about. And, and I did see somewhere that you, um, uh, did a presentation on like herbal remedies um from that era yes yes and from that era yes exactly Uh, it's so it's so interesting to me see this i get so excited about this research stuff um there was a um the the first university a step the first medical university established in europe was in a place called salerno italy and it was it it made a lot of sense because it was a crossroads for the Persians who were very, very advanced in their medicine and also for the Far East to come into Europe. Uh, And they, uh, they were, I mean, they were so advanced that they were doing ocular surgery for cataracts in the 1300s. No way. Yes. It's just phenomenal, but they had a um, a, a recipe for um, a, uh, a painkiller, an anesthesia, uh-huh. anesth- yeah, anesthetic that was really effective, and in, it's used in my book actually. Um, and so they trained women there as well as well as men, partly because. Uh, Asian men, Persian men would not let men attend to their women. So uh, yeah. these this this group of women called Salernistas were very highly trained, and they would fan out across Europe and do 
this very advanced medicine to uh, to the kings and queens. They would deliver the queens of their children. They would uh, heal people of all kinds of diseases. They were world renowned. Hmm. And so this, the story and and partly they, it was based on the work of a woman named Tratula. And she wrote a book, the only book at that point on women's health. And it was it stood as the primary book on women's health for 400 years, which <laughs> frankly says a lot about how nobody else was interested in women's health, but you know, oh, yeah. it was, it was, it was pretty good. And the idea was that this book was so important that it could not fall out of print, which of course there wasn't printing at the time yeah. until later. Uh, but all of the scribes were uh, controlled by the church. So you have this fight to try to get medical knowledge out to the, not just to the Salernistas, but to anyone who was doing any kind of uh, uh, herbal medicine and who would take this knowledge, how to get it out in Europe uh, while dodging the witch burnings, which were really, um, really very, very widespread at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. That, did you know this before you started writing um, Mandrake Broom, or did you learn this through your research, like just doing other research and happened upon this? I I happened upon it. I um, saw a movie which just uh, just upset me so much. It's called The Burning Times. And after I saw it in San Francisco, I just, I just wept. I could not believe it. And one of the the core concepts was, look at what this did, what these this witch burnings did to our uh, our genetic pool. The women who were capable and who had amassed any kind of money at all were specifically targeted by the church, because the church would come in and get the tax rolls and identify these women who had assets. And then they would kidnap them from the road. And that was a whole new industry. Uh, They would kidnap them from the road and then imprison them and charge them for their transport, charge them for their time in prison, charge them for the trial. And after they were uh, found guilty, the church would then uh, basically take all of the rest of their assets. Of course. So um, this, this movie just blew my mind. And I thought, okay, someday, someday I'm going to write about this. And it took me a number of years to get to the place where I felt like I could actually handle this much material. I had already written a novel aftershocks and also a a small novel that's based a lot on well not the activities but the settings are based on my travels all over the world uh called um the price of passion it's a it's a book of uh lesbian erotica but um i had put those out but i still didn't feel like i really could handle big material and thankfully with um the help of renata stendhal who's a 
very good writer on her of her own um helped teach me to to write to work with the novel mm. so out it came what a journey yeah. I know, I know, I know. It's fun stuff. I feel really grateful to have a passion, uh, and that it it's it's able to you know drive my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can hear your passion. Like really, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So also, you just released an audio book, right? Yes. Oh my God, how much fun is that? Yeah, because you get to. You know, you start with a with an image that you get from somewhere, somewhere else, and it goes in your head and you daydream about it for a really long time. And then you put it on the page in black and white. And that's kind of a shock to see it there. Uh, it's always, you know, never is as good as the daydream, but you do your best. <laughs> you get it on the page. Uh-huh. And, and then you see it in a book form that has a cover and it's, you know, it's nice and crisp. But then... You turn it into an audiobook and the book has a waveform. You see your words in a wave format. Yeah. And so that really blows your mind. The thing I like most about it is that you get to be a storyteller. Is I love being a storyteller and to to present my work in the way that I intended it to be uh to be spoken, mm-hmm. really, with all of the intonations and the uh, the snide remarks that sound like snide remarks, you know, because yeah. you they're just not on paper. Uh, it's really, really fun. It's a lot of work, but um, I taught a class down at this most recent Saints and Sinners LGBT literary conference in New Orleans about how to turn your novel into uh, audiobooks. Because it's a very uh, wild market. It's, it's, there's, there's money to be made there, a little bit of money to be made there. Mm -hmm. And you can do it for free. You can do it yourself. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. With very, a very small investment, maybe less than $600. Wow. And everything that you need. Yeah. Uh, Wow. That's awesome. And what book is that? What's the title of that one? Um, so I have four of them that now oh, cool. are audiobooks. So Jaguar Paloma and the Cake Town Bar, that's an audiobook as well. And uh, The Mandrake Broom, When the Witches Fought Back, that's an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I originally, the first audiobook I did was a modern story, a uh, set of short stories called The Disappearing Andersons of Loon Lake. And uh, it's about people living around a small fishing uh, lake in northern Michigan. Uh, and then it's just, it'll come out in this next month is A Slender Tether, also in uh, in audiobook as well. Oh, that's so. so cool. It's fun, fun, fun. Yeah, it is. It is. I love uh, to listen to audiobooks. I do I do a lot of traveling uh, for work and, and just in the last, Oh, several months have gotten back into it because um, we weren't we weren't even back at the office yet, um, and so um, I love to listen to audiobooks uh, on my travels and and when I'm on my tractor mowing the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I thought you were going to say your treadmill, and you said tractor. That's great. Do you, do you have a lot of acreage? No, no, just like a, a 
little over, probably like uh, an acre and a quarter around there, you know. Not nice. a lot. Not a lot. Nice. That's great. But That's it's great. it's mostly mowable. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Marvelous. Marvelous. That's good. so. Where would someone, if someone wanted to purchase your audiobooks, where would they go? Uh, Amazon.com, Audible.com, uh, Spotify. So when you go to Amazon.com, there are now uh, three ways that you can buy my work: the the paperback, the ebook, and the audiobook. Great. Yeah. Okay. And yes. is that where uh, they would go if, if someone wanted to buy like uh, Jaguar Paloma and the Cake Town Bar, like the the actual book book? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's also um, carried by Barnes and Noble okay. and uh, the independents. And of course you can always go to justwells.com and I'll even autograph it for you. So awesome. Yeah. All right, folks, that's where you go. Go to justwells.com and you can get an autographed copy. Um, that's special. I love autographed copies. I have a whole collection of them. Oh, nice. Yeah, Very yeah. good. Very I think good. almost every one of my Radcliffe books are autographed by her. Oh, nice. Yeah. She, nice. she was so gracious. I brought in a stack, like a, like probably a couple stacks. <laughs> and she sat there and wrote something in every one of them. So, That's great. Yeah. And, and you know what? That feels really good when someone does that. That's just, it's, it makes you feel not alone. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel like there's somebody out there listening. It's it's a great feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Definitely uh -huh. true. Yeah. So you know you um you mentioned the uh the Saints and Sinners Awards, right? Uh huh. And, uh huh. And you you've been nominated for like I don't know how many Lammies and um and awards <laughs> through Saints and Sinners. Um, so yeah, has, has like being recognized in this way, um, by peers and by, you know, readers has, has that changed the way you write or, or changed you even? Um, it's changed me in that it makes, it heals me. It, it feeds me. Um, it, you know, it, it's a very solitary thing, writing. Yeah. So uh, it's nice that there's somebody out there. I, I Jaguar Paloma and the Cake Town Bar won the Nautilus, uh, Nautilus Silver Book Award for work with a social impact when it came out. Cool. And that meant the world to me. Heck yeah. Because I, yeah, I so wanted people to be able to to hear what I was trying to say about how many women have been oppressed by this idea of so-called legitimacy. Yeah. And um, I, I loved that. Uh, that just, it meant the world. It, it made me feel like not only was there somebody out there, but uh, the, the concepts were getting through. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was yeah. terrific. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that is, that's like, you know, someone gets you, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. That's wonderful. Um, and yeah. you did it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, 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 you um, got to them, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so, I should have, I should have submitted it for the Lammy bisexual uh, category. I must admit, I didn't even know there was one. Okay. I'm bisexual now. And I just assumed I wasn't 
qualified for any of the awards. And oh. it wasn't until I went down to Saints and Sinners this past uh, fall that I went, oh, oh, well, you know, what am I doing sitting around, <laughs> you know, feeling like like I'm on the outside of the outside. I, I, yeah. I, could, yeah. I could get back in there. You, so. you could still do it. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, yeah, go ahead. Well, and for any writers who might be listening, you know, all of those awards, with the exception of the Lammies, I think uh, uh, it's all pay to play. You have to pay to submit your book, but it helps with sales more than anything else, because the first thing in the blurb says, uh, Nautilus Book Award winner, you know, and and then you get the description of the book. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to, yeah, definitely submit yeah have you ever gone to uh the the golden crown literary society or submitted your work there i haven't and i want to i was thinking i was going to go this coming year i would love that yeah you know? yeah but now but now i'm in bet- in between books well that doesn't matter if i'm no. in between books does no. it no it yeah. doesn't at all nope. no yeah 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 have you gone do you love it um yeah i've gone and um it is it's a little overwhelming because there's, it just grows, I think every year and there's so many people um, and so many authors. And, um, you know, I went to um, like some classes, right? They, you can, um, you can, there are different levels uh, of like um, uh, participation. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so I attended classes and that was fun because I got to meet um, actually, uh, Finney and Burnett, who um, does, she runs the uh, writing academy for them. And so then I, I ended up a few years later um, applying to the academy um, and got in. And that was, that was really, uh, it's, nice. it's a year long, yeah, two semesters, uh, all virtual and just really, uh, uh, just helped me really take a look and examine you know, the craft of writing, my craft, um, and make improvements. Uh, it was a great experience. Oh, that's wonderful. Wow. That's, that's not easy to run something like that. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. They do a great job with that. Um, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So Jess, you have been kind of classified or associated with writers in the group of like feminist and lesbian forerunners. Um, is that is that how you see yourself as like this this forerunner of uh, feminism and and feminist writings and yeah I I do I mean it's my honor to be considered a pioneer yeah. really uh, it was it was amazing in the eighties and we can talk about that for a minute I mean I I am bisexual now I spent twenty three years with women and now twenty with men but regardless mm-hmm. I'm absolutely a feminist writer mm-hmm. uh, and as I said all art is commentary on you know the human condition it has something to say about the human condition and uh, I'm I'm constantly looking for for something to say yeah. about that. 
Yeah. The 80s, they were a really interesting time to write. I mean, we were creating some of the, the very first stirrings of lesbian culture. Yeah. Our, our work was very autobiographical. They were narratives based on our own lives. They, they were, they were more autobiographical than fictional. It was really important political work because we felt like we were getting, getting it down. We were getting it on paper, who we were on paper. And, and that was, that was terrific. That I felt terrific. like it was more grassroots too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, at some point I must say it started to get a little, uh, I don't want to say twisted. It gets, it's get a little bit skewed. I would, be told things like, well, you need more sex in this book. Yeah. Or, uh, well, no, these characters have to be lesbians. And or, and then we began to write what I call hear me roar stories. Mm -hmm. You know, where the women had no flaws. Mm -hmm. They had no, they, you know, and you can't have a real character without a shadow. Yep, yep. Right, I, I totally and, agree. Yeah, all heroes yeah. have that shadow side. Yeah, it was really hard for me to break out of that and start writing uh, women who were antagonists and maybe men who were sympathetic. And it's it's um it, it was a good transition, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I think um you know writing has changed uh since then um mm -hmm. I, I think it was more i'll say more intense and it seems to be fluffier these days mm -hmm. um, mm, that's interesting yeah. yeah um i mean i'm sure there are there are writers like um uh like roxanne gay who um she's she's pretty intense you know um <sighs> but um yeah, like I, you just don't see uh, uh, that that same uh, intensity uh, that you mm -hmm. did in the eighties. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the um, hard hitting stuff. Yeah, I remember I used to subscribe to a newsletter. It was like this lesbian newsletter, underground, kind of printed, almost like it was all done on a typewriter, almost and printed <laughs> and stapled together. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But uh, uh, yeah, but that was the best, you know. Um, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, you know, everything moves and changes, and uh, we've we've made a lot of progress since then. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I was just talking to someone last week about the fact that we don't even really have uh, like um, gay and lesbian bars any longer you know like that was a place you you went to meet people and hang out and and yeah. that's even changed and i mean we we want to be mainstream right we want to be equals um but um i don't know it's a it's a i i feel a sense of loss you know Mm -hmm, mm hmm. It makes sense. I mean, we started them because they were the only places where we felt safe. Yeah. You know, where we could be ourselves. Um, and then then they started disappearing because there were other places we felt safe. And so so that's a good thing that you feel safe elsewhere. Yeah. But it's sort of sad because it was also a way to create culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, 
I live in San Francisco. And oh, so, okay. I mean, some of the, the changes are just like, you couldn't, you couldn't write it. It's so bizarre that the lesbian bar uh, was turned into a bar that's now called Elbow Room. You know, sort of wow. like wow. El- elbow, elbowing out the lesbians yeah. you know, out of their own place. It was It was phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. wow wow but um yeah 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 huh yeah i'm on the other coast <laughs> so ah yeah good so nice um nice. so jess we are yes. almost out of time for today um but it has been a pleasure talking with you and i'm just wondering if you have any parting words for our listeners today ah oh, that's nice um to, I'll tell you, the, to the readers out there, we love you. You are the reason we work. Uh, we are talking to you every single day at the typewriter, at the keyboard anyway. And to the writers, I would say, keep your eye on the art, not the commerce of it. You are, you're making art, you're commenting, as I said, on the human condition. And uh, it, that is not, that has nothing to do with what sells. So that those would be my parting words and a, and a great thank you to you, Anita. No, thank you, Jess. Uh, It has been a pleasure talking with you and uh, listeners uh, just uh, once again, uh, Jess Wells is with us today and her, uh, some of her books include Jaguar Paloma and the Cake Town Bar, um, the Mandrake Broom, um, which is a series, is that it? Uh, no, it's just the one. Just the one? Okay. Um, yeah. And then um, Jess also has uh, a, a slew of short stories, um, one that should be coming out on audiobook, um, A Slender Tether. Um, so, uh, you know, pick up some of those books and, and, and check them out. I think I think you'll all be quite pleased. Um so uh, thanks again, Jess, for joining us. Um, Thank you. Yes. Uh, so um, until next time, um, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe, folks. <laughs>